Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Oodles. Oodles is a huge Bloodborne fan and a fan fiction writer, so it was a delight to get to talk to him about pretty much everything related in between those two. Uh, we also get into some Dark Souls 3. We get into fan fiction in general, uh, and it's just it was just a delightful conversation. I, I had a really great time with this one, and I think you will too. So, without further ado, enjoy the episode. actually watching a ton of let's plays many moons ago and wound up watching two like simultaneous youtube let's plays of bloodborne um like right when it came out and i had never even like heard of any of the souls nonsense by that point but i was like oh what is this aesthetic happening (laughs) (laughs) and i just i had to stop watching both of them because i didn't want to see how it ended um and immediately bought myself bloodborne and it was all over from there you already had a PS4 at that point? Uh, I think, all right, you know what? No, I bought myself the game and asked for a PS4 for Christmas. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll buy myself the little thing. <laughs> I'll, uh, it's amazing how many people have literally purchased a, a PS4 for, for just for Bloodborne. Like we call it the Bloodborne yeah. machine, like it's, or the $550 video game or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> What kind of games were you playing at the time? Like, uh, what 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 drew you to Bloodborne, and what kind of what kind of were your interests at the time? Um, well, I was kind of coming off of a Silent Hill high at the time. Oh, rad! Okay, <laughs> yeah, um, I had very recently gotten into that whole mess of uh, <laughs> of a franchise, and so yeah, it was that weird kind of touching on horror, but it wasn't. Like, I, I wouldn't honestly classify Bloodborne as a horror game, but it has a lot of that feel to it. Um, and Silent Hill is obviously never coming back. So, no. <laughs> I, I know, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just got really into the thought of like playing something that is just so player focused, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in that just beautiful world. So uh, eventually you get to PS4, you slam the game in. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that first experience like? Walk me through it. Oh, it was maddening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember how much time I spent like looking for Cleric Beast, but it was it was a long time. And this, like it's even more embarrassing because I had already seen somebody play the game. <laughs> but um, as it was my first FromSoft ever experience, I was very new to that control scheme. Um but I did get there, and I was very—I beat Cleric Beast in one. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know yeah, right? that, and I had like four <laughs> Souls games under my belt at that time. <laughs> <laughs> was it just a? Do you, was it having come from an LP, or do you think that it was just like you, you, the controls clicked for you that well, and you were able to knock it out? Um, I think I, when it comes to video games and only video games, I respond very well to pressure. So okay. <laughs> I think I just like went into the zone a little bit, but I, I do think the LP probably helped. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you remember what kind of weapons you, you were using at the time? Oh, I, that was a Saul Cleaver, I think exclusively, uh, that whole first run of the game that I did. Sure. Um, Too scared to branch out for any other weapons. That's <laughs> usually yeah. what happens. Like, I found this and it works. I'm never going to use anything else ever again. Right. <laughs> I get very overwhelmed in Souls games by the weapon selection. Do you f- usually do that? Do you usually pick one weapon per playthrough and then just kind of upgrade that and ignore the rest? Yeah, mostly. Or I'll have, like, my dream weapon in mind already and, like, shoot for that. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like when you're, you know, X number of hours into a game and you're like, what is this shiny new beautiful weapon? I already have my other one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I do love that they have a billion weapons to choose from. That's one thing I think uh, Bloodborne is pretty good at is, is minimizing that that selection. Like coming from Dark Souls 2 directly into Bloodborne, uh, Dark Souls 2 has like just a huge variety of like, like a zillion different broken straight sword (laughs) versions. Um, It was a little weird because I wasn't expecting, I was expecting the same kind of weapon variety. And then you get to Bloodborne that has like, you know, 20, but have just a significantly expanded moveset above anything that we've seen before. So I actually end up preferring Bloodborne's method over even Dark Souls 3 or um, Dark Souls 2. 
And I feel like Dark Souls 3 especially suffers from, like, having too many choices just for the sake of having those choices. <laughs> yeah, and they're all... Uh, I think the bummer about them is it's it, it gives the player like too many things to pick from and then it really encourages min-maxing so you get a lot of like internet feedback of people like well that's garbage because it's two yeah. points of dps lower than this other straight sword and i'm like well it looks cool okay that's what right. i'm looking for leave me I'm alone internet boys yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my goodness i i was pleased i found out i think it was shortly after the release of ds3 um the whole community of fashion souls um I don't know if you if you've heard of this wonderful thing where basically you would summon people and they would just like critique your outfit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh god, it's so good. <laughs> it so had cool. a it had a name too, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it had like a funny name when you would summon the summon the dude and or summon the person, and I can't remember what it is. Uh, oh, I don't know, me. but. Yeah, that's great. I, any any weird stuff like that with multiplayer and Souls game, I, I'm definitely here for. Um, like yeah, some, you know, I've, I've done the you know pretending to be Santa Claus in Dark Souls One in the Painted World and like all of that stuff, <laughs> and just drop weapons, and it's it's always a really great time. So. Yes. Oh man, I yeah, it's just such a unique platform, and I'm glad that everybody is just completely taking advantage of it for their own niche interests. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really weird how this, these, these games specifically have just like taken off in a weird way. Like I talk about it a lot on the podcast about when dark souls one came out, it like generated this huge interest in YouTube lore videos and Twitch streams and all this other stuff. And it's, it still kind of blows me away even to this day that like that people are still doing stuff. Like, you could, like they're still doing lore videos. <laughs> Poor right. Richard Pillbeam and, and and Sinclair Lord still just like recording yeah. 10 hours at a time of the most obscure shit in the world. So there's still an audience yeah. for it. It's yeah, it's awesome because it's just that you, you can never have like all of the answers for something like this. So it's just infinite potential and possibility. But yeah, no, I, I definitely like the mere sort of questions that Bloodborne started asking is part of why I got so deep into it. Um, were you seeking out that stuff outside of the game or were you just looking into the game to try to find answers to those questions? Initially, I was very like just looking for the game canon answers and, you know, item descriptions and all of that. But after I don't even know how many hours I put into my first playthrough. I was like, all right, let's, let's ask the internet a couple questions, <laughs> uh, which was of course the, the beginning of my downfall and uh, my very, I mean, I, I'm a pretty quiet person, so I can't like say that I, you know, caused waves or anything here, but I did start writing about it on my own <laughs> and uh, have, have made some, some good friends from that, which is also fantastic. I do think that the Souls community has provided me like the most interesting <laughs> companionship and friendships. Same. Uh, all because we're <laughs> <laughs> completely <Yeah>. same. <laughs> if you if you uh, if you asked me a few years ago, like what the people that I would know and like the things that I would be talking about on a regular basis about Dark Souls or Bloodborne, and yeah, 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 yeah. It would no, no idea. How, lo- how long did it take you from playing the game before you started writing about uh, Bloodborne? Uh, I want to say, I get, I, I think I managed like six months tops, <laughs> <laughs> which is to be fair, a long time for me because usually I'll like engage with something and just immediately go off and <laughs> need to, you know, start sort of building my own stories out of it. But, uh, I did not, it was not a, a quiet fall. <laughs> I <laughs> just asked. Absolutely. <laughs> Went bananas for Bloodborne. And you uh, had a history of writing fiction about video games before this, right? Yes. Um, I, though, I think actually Bloodborne was the first time that I publicly posted like video game specific fanfic. Um, I have other things on there, but Bloodborne was really the thing that like made me feel the need to share, which is weird. <laughs> And I don't regret it. What do you think it was? Like just the the characters being such a because the way that Souls games and Bloodborne, I think specifically, really nails this. Um, they give you these characters that are 
they're so well realized, but also kind of abstract at the same time. Like they, they really work for kind of reading your own headcanon or inventing your own stories about, uh, but they also have these clear personality traits that you can kind of mold to, to fit your own fiction. Like it's a real interesting balance there. Like, do you think that's what it was or was there something else that was driving you to the, to, to write these things and to put them out there? I think, yeah, no, it's, they're like these perfect, like three quarters of the way characters. And it's like just enough for me or, and I think for a lot of writers in general to feel like it's going to be so interesting to put these weirdos somewhere else. Like I, because <laughs> you know, the the fact that you have some of the time to be fair, like dialogue from them and these very obvious traits. Um, Cause like the, one of the first people that I was drawn to writing was Alfred, the executioner. Um, because he is incredibly realized and like, there's not much to change about him, but I think he's just like such a dynamic, you know, presence in the game. Um, and is simultaneously kind of underutilized in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was especially like appealing for me to, to be like, Oh, what's this, what's this guy up to? What's going on here? It's, it's um, interesting coming from, uh, the Dark Souls history that I had before Bloodborne, when I met Alfred, he was very much a, a Solaire character. Like, a, you know, he's being very yeah. friendly. He's Solaire's voice actor. <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> it was, and it's, and like the arc that goes on and when he winds up with the, um, with the vile blood queen and yeah. just totally fucking insane all of a sudden just like covered in <laughs> blood and screaming and with this weird wheel like where the fuck did you been hiding this wheel man this is strange uh, you didn't uh, you didn't show me that before <laughs> yeah this is something that i feel i think you should have talked about in your tinder profile <laughs> before we got here um <laughs> But it's 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 such a it's such a twist, I think, and I think if they were doing that to maybe not actively troll, but to slightly troll like knowledgeable players. But I think it works for yeah. just about anybody because he's such a nice dude and he's so friendly that you can completely ignore the warning signs up until that point, up until you get to yeah. that kind of secret area. So. Yeah, it's cool. And it's funny, though, because when I, as somebody who had never played Dark Souls at that point, I saw that scene and was like, he's wearing a pyramid on his head. (laughs) (laughs) So my, yeah, my my wires got crossed a little bit, too. But um, yeah, I think there's so much fun. Like, I think that's one of the great things about any kind of Souls game. You can go into one and then start seeing the threads that exist in all the other ones. Yeah. but yeah, no, he he was just so interesting, and I absolutely felt compelled to just try to keep it going. Um, <laughs> Do you, can you give me like a like a just a brief description of what that was about? Like your your kind of I guess AO three summary page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually I wrote, I wrote a bunch of comic scripts, which is weird, um, having to do with my like three favorite duos from Bloodborne. Um, Cause mostly I was interested in like the situation with the executioners and how someone like, you know, Ligarius, who's literally a skeleton when you find him and like young, healthy Alfred, like wh- where's there feels like some kind of like time lapse is not being explained here. Um, so I wanted to write about like him joining up essentially. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then I quickly devolved from there and decided that I'm here to have fun. It's my life and I will write about these weirdos in college. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I ever actually posted on AO3 publicly was a, uh, a college story, which I have since taken down because it's a trash fire, but it was a lot of fun at the time. And people sort of noticed me at the time because of that. Um, they follow me for different things now, but <laughs> that has to be um, like, that's a, that's a fun thing for me to think about. I'm a big um, X-Men fan and mm. something that I love about the uh, X-Men comics is whenever they, they focus on the school aspect and it's just the, the kind of interplay between students and teenagers and being at a part of time of their lives where um, just tons of things are changing. Right. And yeah. you know, coming to terms with these weird powers and like dealing with weird personality as, te- as, as teachers and the whole nine, like that's one of my favorite stuff in the world. Uh, right. and it's, I, I think I'd be like real interested. I'm sad. That's not on AO3 anymore, so I can't link it, but <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be an interesting story. I think to read, I can see why it would have caught attention because it's a, it's an interesting angle on the characters. Yeah. And you know, it, I feel like 
half the people you meet in Bloodborne are kind of like Alfred is obviously somebody who like follows Ligarius and like is learning from him. So it felt like a natural kind of thing to be like, well, okay, you know, everybody's learning something here. But um yeah, I I just stopped caring about being any kind of canon compliant after a certain point. <laughs> Um, I'm curious. Yeah, um, I've, I've interviewed a few, uh, f- you know, thick writers in the past, uh, and I like to right. ask this question. Like that's because I've seen the feedback. I, I don't spend a lot of time reading fic. I guess to, to say this out loud, um, but I oh, spent yeah, a, no. a lot of time on Tumblr back in the day. So like you just kind of get, you just get by osmosis. You absorb a lot of knowledge for this stuff, and it seemed like right. that there was a almost a a backlash on people who are writing stuff that wasn't in canon or that was just way out of canon do you get negative feedback from that from from like hardcore bloodborne fans going like there's no way that this could actually exist and you have to remind them like yahar ghoul is not a real place bro (laughs) (laughs) no actually i've been very blessed nobody has come after me about you know like the perfect alfred quaff or whatever i i can't say that anybody's gotten mad at me um, but I also am usually pretty upfront and shameless about the fact, that, like, if you clicked on my story, you know what you're going to get to. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's warnings on the door, just like in, uh, yeah, just like in old Yarnum. There's warning exactly, on the door. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. Um, I actually get more worried about describing people's physical appearances than I do about, like, getting into lore details. <laughs> um, I think that is that is like more story breaking than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, because people, at least the, the aspects of the fandom that I'm familiar with, I think they care more about uh, people being like handsome and canon <laughs> rather than like, that's not where you met that enemy. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. <laughs> that's not, that's not who made the bus, uh, the, the, per, the pizza cutter, the whirly gig. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you got the wrong faction. I, I've actually had a lot of people be very excited to see the like weird things specifically that I do with lore. Um, I am I'm currently working on a very kind of my own take on Bloodborne and like shapeshifting, um, and that's been really exciting because a lot of people are curious to see the things that I do with it and knowing that it's not going to be <laughs> exactly as it is in the game. Um, so that's actually like really cool, and I think. Also, it's been maybe long enough since Bloodborne has come out that people are just kind of excited to see content. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, can you give me an example on like some of your takes from a shape? You, you mentioned shape shifting and, and lore specifically. Yeah. Can you give me kind of an example of what that would be? Yeah. So essentially, I'm I'm writing a story where you know instead of people are turning into beasts and monsters, it's more like oh, these people turn into, like, dogs, or these people turn into wolves, or this person turns into a cat, or whatever. Um, and it's sort of like, I've sort of turned Yarnum into a society of, like... Um, Professor McGonagall. Tiered... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> tiered kind of shapeshifters. Um, and it's fun. Like, I, I kind of treat it as you can get more out of this story if you have played the game obsessively, but also it's just a fun story. Um, putting in like Easter eggs like that is, is fun. Um, and especially considering how many people in Bloodborne, like don't even have real like people names. Sure. Uh, You can, you know, make allusions to things that it's like, Oh, I get, I get what you're saying. Or it's just like, yeah, whatever. It's a story thing. Um, you mentioned you had, uh, three favorite duos and the first of which was Alfred and Ligarius. What was your, Mm -hmm. what were your other two duos that you were interested in writing about? Um, well, speaking of characters that don't have names, uh, <laughs> I was always very, uh, interested by the situation in Old Yarnum with Jura and the hunter on the ground that's, like, defending his tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most of the time people just call him, like, Jura's ally. Um, but that was, that was a weird duo that I was very interested in because it was like, why is Jura mad at me but not this other dude hanging out here? Um. And, of course, the last the last pair that I absolutely adore is Henrik and Gascoigne. Uh, 
That's a. Um, um, is yeah. do you think it's because I've see, I see that that pairing specifically quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. around? And do you think it's specifically around the the stuff that happens in the Gascoin, like post Gascoin fight, where and and all of that stuff? Like, what what do you think? Because it's not a it's not an unusual pairing to me. Like, what do you think it is about those two that um, people want to put together? <laughs> well, um, I. Like when I first played the game, I had no idea about any of that because the the LP that I had watched didn't touch on that. They totally like botched that whole quest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Gascoigne's fight is so cool and good and interesting. So I was automatically like enamored of this situation, um, and I was just at a point where I was like, I gotta grind for some for some echoes. I need to level up. I'm just gonna like tear through Yardum and see what's up. And I like literally walked into Henrik essentially. And it just like, it was a game changer. I was like, wow, <laughs> these people have like, you know, existing partnerships and relationships. And there's like so much more human weirdness happening. Um, and the description on Henrik's clothes are just too much. Really. Remind me what that is. I, I haven't read that stuff in forever. It's okay. Uh, I will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> It describes, because it's essentially, you would never know until you kill Henrik and steal his clothes, because that's a normal thing to do. Um, but it says that... Welcome to Souls, everybody. You know, hey! <laughs> um, it says that he was Gascoigne's hunting partner, and that they were a fierce and gallant duo, but uh, it led to Henrik's tragically long life. Um it's like that was one of the most like confounding beautiful mysteries that i had encountered like it was lovely and absolutely ripe for storytelling um yeah i was just so like in love with this weird thing whatever you want to call it um some people are very staunchly against that situation but um Look, I, I, I do a podcast on Supernatural, so I, oh. I'm I'm fully aware like how how weird and protective people get about ships and other people's ships and uh, like the putting people together that should or should not go together. And like I'm I'm I, you just get to a point where you're like, yeah, whatever, I don't care what you do, just try not to make it too weird. <laughs> like, exactly. Just don't, don't maybe not put it on like you know Facebook. Maybe just keep yeah. that shit, keep that shit <laughs> in the dark web, and then you're fine. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I I just. I'm very compelled by whatever weird things are at work there. <laughs> um, you know, Gascoigne is like low key a werewolf in my opinion. And uh, you have this other person who initially, like when I first encountered that description, I was like, great. So we have a werewolf and a vampire is what you're telling me. Like, yeah. Tragically long life, like kind of implies it, the dark gift, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's funny. I've never actually written that, but um it just initially kind of hooked me in. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's something and like, I, I, I've obviously come to realize that souls does this a lot where they sort of like trap old boss rooms with things. Mm-hmm. But, um, that was the first time I'd ever seen it and I was blown away. Um, but just, you know, the thought that this person is so upset that you killed their hunting partner that now they're just, they're going to kill you. Like it's so perfectly Yarnum and heartbreaking. It's lovely. I'm curious, uh, you've obviously played the other Souls games, right? Like, which one did you go to after after you finished Bloodborne for the first time? Oh, DS3, yeah. You went to DS3. Did, having, like, got so immersed into Bloodborne and start writing about Bloodborne and, like, picking up all these things, the characters, did Dark Souls 3 inspire the same kind of thing since it's a similar method of storytelling and it's a similar method of building characters and, the, and NPCs in the world? It Yeah, it did, but actually going back to that same kind of too much choice situation. I never got as like deep into it because there's just so much. Um, It's a lot harder. I think for me to like gain footing in DS3's world. Um, I have, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I have found those places for myself to exist, but um, I think it's so much more open and complicated. Uh, It is harder for me and like my particular love of like closer storytelling Mm -hmm. for me to get into that um bloodborne just feels so much more contained and you know isolated from like literally from all the other souls games but also just in general 
Um, yeah, DS3 is is a is a hard game to just like jump into. <laughs> it it is. Yeah. I um it's 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 a messy game I think from a, from a narrative yeah. perspective and a lot of the uh cut content stuff we've seen I mean like, like we you can definitely see that that game changed dramatically over the, the last 6 or 7 months of development, which I think most games do, but it's really interesting right. to see how that changed and what would have been. Um uh, have, right. have you played Demon Souls? Have you had a chance to play Demon Souls? No, I actually um, very mysteriously acquired a copy of Demon Souls like Ooh. a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> Were you at the grocery store and it just fell into your cart, or like? <laughs> uh, no, it was it was the strangest thing. So I, I was working at a cafe at the time, and um, people would like leave newspapers. That's like a normal thing to leave in a cafe because you read your coffee or you read your paper and you drink your coffee, whatever. But. One day uh, we were closing up the shop and we just realized that somebody had left like a 10 game stack of just PS3 games. Oh no. Just like in the corner. And I was like, that's, that's too many games for this to like be an accident. <laughs> that was very bizarre. And then we went through it and Demon Souls was in there and I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta take this. Like, I, yeah, it's this, mine This now. is my brand. <laughs> I gotta, yeah, I gotta I, check this out. I have to. There is so that's a, the one that I have the least experience with. But. Yeah, I, I just that one's also pretty segmented. It doesn't have the uh, kind of closed story that Bloodborne has. Like in Bloodborne, I mm. feel like that you can you can finish the DLC and go, okay, I, I mostly know what happened in those games. Uh, <laughs> whereas Dark Souls is way more open to interpretation as is Demon Souls to an extent. But at least it's you know you don't have three games worth of of lore that you have to worry about like you do in Dark Souls three. So it's right, and it's the it's not their first attempt at those, that kind of character building. Like they do a lot of that in Kingsfield uh, as well, but it's like, there's some characters in demon souls that I just find like completely haunting. Like it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Hopefully one day that, that game will come to PS4 and everybody can play it. And then this podcast can get like a huge <laughs> resurgence all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> which turned into a demon souls podcast. Done. <laughs> so did you, did you end up writing about dark souls three? I don't know if I actually I... specifically asked that question. I, I did. I did. Um, I sort of latched on to uh, a couple characters in DS3. And actually, I guess, well, Aldrich is um, <laughs> is an interesting thing for me. And I'm very compelled by, like, that boss fight and that situation is really fascinating. Um, but it's funny because that entire kind of section of the game is also so heavily tied to the first Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did wind up, I, I wrote something that I'm, I'm like actually kind of proud of as my, my writing skills, uh, a story about Aldrich and Gwendolyn. Um, I think there's a lot going on there. <laughs> there absolutely is. Yeah. I agree with you. Did you like when you were, cause you're playing through Dark Souls three and you encounter these characters. Did you, um, did you just write about them and just try to like go with your gut or did you like go back and like, these are obviously, you know, this is obviously a story. Let me go research this and try to figure out what's going on and then write about it. A little bit of both. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I, I have spent many, many minutes <laughs> on the uh, various wikis reading item descriptions. Um, and I have booted up files to go like run around areas. Um, there's only, so much research that can be done. Sure. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, when you're trying to bend their narrative to suit your purposes. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I think it was kind of, it starts with that very initial gut, like how did this happen? Um, and then I kind of went from there reading as much as I could about relevant items. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I kind of initially will do like a ton of research and then I'll start letting go of some of that as I actually start writing. Sure. Yeah. Cause you, you're, you're writing with the purpose of what you want these characters to do, not necessarily what right. they have done. And from a story yeah. perspective. Yeah. Interesting. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that because um, I, just fiction writing in general about established characters is something that I find sort of fascinating. Uh, it's, for such a long time, it was kind of shunned on the internet um, as like, oh, like these these people are like weirdly horny for cartoons or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, as a, and like you can't you can't take that away from me. That's still true. Yeah, but. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's I think that is definitely still true. But like, it's yeah. it is, 
the more I, the more I've learned about it, like it goes it goes a lot more in depth. Like people genuinely care about these characters, and they just want to see them expressed in, in different ways. And I, th- I think that's the fascinating thing about fan fiction is it allows you to experience like your favorite characters and all of these different things. Like I've encountered stuff that's not necessarily just straight up horny, and then I've encountered some stuff that is extremely straight up horny, and like both of it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place for all of it, and exactly. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I I don't know. I'm incredibly compelled by experiencing like a sad narrative and then taking it and making it happy. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, um, I want to say it was on uh, episode 69 where someone told me that they just wanted uh, Eileen and, um, I can't remember who it is, but they just want him to like leave and be happy and raise chickens together. And I'm like, yes, that's because it's the thing that never happens in a Dark Souls game. Like that's the th- one thing. Like you never make any any of these characters happy, no matter what you do. Yeah, no, it's it's like you know, I don't I don't actually want to change anything about Bloodborne the game, but <laughs> but I would just like to see somebody be happy and somebody find love, and you know. It's just that, like, I'm kind of cheesy at heart, like, in my real life, so I am absolutely delighted to be able to, like, bring this to someone else and also share my happiness and corniness. Um, I mean, yeah, I I just, like, my favorite favorite thing to do, because I'm I'm on Twitter, obviously, I'm, you know, 26, so what else am I going to do? And just, like, opening up these, like, goofy prompts. To people and talking about like well what if what if Gascoigne was just a puppy like what would what then <laughs> he would be happy everyone would be happy <laughs> <laughs> what if he was just a puppy just a cute little pupper he's just fine just a little pupper carried around the saw cleaver in his teeth like it's a big stick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, but no i i also i mean i don't I, i'm bad at talking about my own writing because i'm awkward but um you know, I like to think that I can tell a, a nice story, and even if there are moments of, you know, whatever, sadness, intensity, pain, um, I, I like to give people happy endings. That is, that is my, my, in this, in this world, <laughs> in this time that we live, I, I am incredibly uh, compelled by happiness and people being okay. <laughs> Yeah, just a, just a little small ray of sunshine in an otherwise like kind of oppressive kind of world that we live in nowadays. Yes. Do you do you consume a lot of other people's uh, fiction about Bloodborne or Dark Souls? I am very picky about what I read, um, mostly because a lot of people write some sad, sad shit. <laughs> um, or you know, it's it's the absolute horny, know nothing else, and that's like, that's great. And that's beautiful. And you know, you're valid, but I, I am a bit more uh, picky when it comes to it. I, I will read things, but uh, mostly I'm, Oh, sorry. My dog. Oh, there's a puppy uh, in the background. I've got three behind me on the bed that are being good for once. So don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, mostly I am very absorbed in what I'm writing and the like published things that I'm reading. <laughs> I work at a comic shop, so I have to read a lot of comics. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, got to keep up. Yeah. What are you? Are you? Uh, have you been reading the Bloodborne comic? I actually just picked up because the the I guess the way that they did it was the first four issues are like their own arc, and now they're starting a new arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm picking up on the second arc. I've heard the first arc was not very exciting. Yeah, um, but I read like when they were doing preview pages. I was reading some of mm-hmm. that and. I don't know what it is. When you translate souls into a different medium, uh, it it sort of loses it for me. Like there's a bunch of people on YouTube that have done like Dark Souls the movie, and I don't want to take that from, away from anybody. Like that's a hell of a lot of hard work, and like it's and it's it's genuinely good. It just it's not what I'm really looking for. And like the moment that I open up a page and like a hunter is talking and it's in like a comic book box, I'm like, ah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of out. So I haven't actually like yeah. finished any of the issues, but I'm curious. Like, what kind of stories that they would tell, and is it additive to that universe, or is it something that would make it worse? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's sort of the impression I got from the first four. I think it was kind of this meandering, strange thing that didn't really have, like, a point. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this next arc seems like it's actually gonna maybe tell a story early on in Yarnum's history, which I'm more interested in, because it's people that were not 
familiar with, so I'm I'm more okay with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff like I don't necessarily need. I would almost want like side stories and stuff. Like I just want to see like. You know how, um, I don't know if you've read a lot of Stephen King, but, um, like, I, growing up, that's, that was, like, the dude that I read the most for whatever reason. Um, and he does that, that thing where, like, in the stand, shit starts going bad, and he just, like, kind of does a check-in around the nation of, like, all of the bad shit that's happening to people. Like, this dude died like this. This dude didn't even die from the plague. He died from a heart attack because he got scared when a tractor started. Like, it has nothing to do with it. Um, like that, that's the kind of stuff I, I would want to see like little, uh, vignettes of Yarnum as it was like kind of yeah. starting to fail. Yeah. The, the spooky state of the union. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Spooky state of the union is very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely, I am more interested in, in people we've never seen if I'm going to read a, you know, published bloodborne comic. Uh, so I think that's I'm I'm more amenable to reading about strangers in in Yarnum's shadowy past. You mentioned uh, earlier, and I, I didn't pick up on it, but when you started writing it, you started said you actually wrote comic book strips. Did you ever try to get like work with an artist and get some of those made, or were they just like, ah, this is this is something terrible, and I don't ever want to let anybody see it? <laughs> I, I can't say that they were terrible. They probably weren't my best work, but. Um, I, I did initially approach my one artist friend, but they were like, I have a full-time job. <laughs> I don't really have time to illustrate your ridiculous Bloodborne comic, but um, they they did do one, like, gorgeous panel of an executioner that will, like, haunt me to my days. And if I can find their post of it, I can, like, link it to you, but... Um, because they also, my, this, this is a person that I live with now. They also adore Alfred. Um, they've done a lot of gorgeous Alfred executioner art. So I did, I did manage to get like two or three panels out of them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, I also at the time uh, was garbage at writing scripts. So I've, I've, t- I took a break. I wrote a whole bunch of prose and now I'm, I'm coming back to comics and my own personal writing. But uh, I think for yeah, for me, my personal kind of writing uh, journey, I will stick to prose <laughs> for for this fan fiction purpose. So uh, let's let's you've played Bloodborne, you played Dark Souls three. Did you touch DS one or DS two at all? Uh, very briefly played DS one. I have watched many playthroughs of it. Okay, um, and I've also DS two. I. I don't spend a lot of time with in general, except that I have watched a billion speed runs. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting way to consume like the longest souls game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I am like pretty knowledgeable of what goes down in DS one. I just haven't played it myself. Um, I was, I, cause that wasn't on anything except, PS3 for the longest time. Yeah, PS3 right? and 360, and then uh, a year later it came out on on PC when the DLC came out, and now it's pretty much on just about any platform you could you could possibly want it on. Right, <laughs> get it on my phone. Um, <laughs> my toaster yeah, plays I, Dark Souls. It's yeah. <laughs> it's terrible at PS uh, at PS at PvP, but it's you know it can play. <laughs> um, I never had access to any of the things that it was on uh, before I had the PS4. Um, and I just haven't gotten, gotten around to it yet. (laughs) Do, um, from either one of those games, do any of the characters stick out to you as people that you would, you would want to experiment with in your own writing? As far as DS1 goes, uh, I love the, the four knights. They're great. The four king? Or no, the four knights. Yeah, yeah. So Artie and, uh, Kieran and and the group. Yeah, the, the, the crew, um, but it's funny because, you know, I didn't need DS1 to get into them because there are those hints in DS3 as well. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm very compelled. I feel feel like I keep coming at Dark Souls from like a weird I'll I'll take something from DS3 and put it with DS1, which is like kind of their intention, I guess. But um Nameless King in, in Dark Souls 3 is fantastic. And I adore his whatever you want to call it with uh Ornstein. In, his in his total extraness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I adore Nameless King and Gwendolyn and Guinevere and the Four Knights. Um, there's just a whole messy friendship and family happening. Yeah, I, um, I, I keep like, Gwen's family line. Um, I didn't really pick up on this until uh, Dark Souls Three, where you meet Yorshka. And uh, I was I was doing that thing where you get the binoculars and you like zoom in real close to characters' faces, and I was like, this, right. this chick has tentacles coming out of her <laughs> neck. Um, and then you start thinking about it, and like we've we've never seen Guinevere, and Gwendolyn has snakes coming out from his waist or feet or whatever. Um, right. And what what what's up with Gwen? What are you doing, man? <laughs> you doing okay, buddy? Who's yeah. the mom? <laughs> Who's, what did you? What what's you going know. on here? <laughs> Gwyn has clearly uh, led a storied life, and I think perhaps, yeah, I, I, I am very, very curious. I think like something that I like thinking about is essentially humanizing them as much as possible, and uh, imagining that family dinner is just delightful to me. <laughs> Of course, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. In the uh, in the supernatural podcast, we do we always talk about like the moments that you don't see that these two extremely hunky brothers, because um, all you really see of them is fighting ghosts and things like that. Like you never see them just like hanging out and you know having to take right. turns in the shower, the shitty hotel room they're at, and things like that. Right. Like that, that little slice of life stuff is really interesting to me. So like picturing like Gwen, like, like can you pass the potatoes? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> How far did the chosen undead make it this time? I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> he seems to be stuck in sins again. Yeah. <laughs> that idiot. Maybe we need yeah, to calm I... down with the boulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I do think that that is something that, like, because I guess DS3 is is weird in that it, you know, it, it wants you clearly to be thinking about Dark Souls 1 while simultaneously trying to, like, tell its own story. Um, but I think the nods to DS1 are the strongest parts of DS3. Um, and yeah, like, thinking about this, <laughs> this exiled older brother with his, you know, bird dragon, whatever, and the very shunned snake boy brother who is, like, maybe trans? We don't know. Um, and, like, beautiful Guinevere and... Philinor and Yorshka and like he's just like what what are these reunions like what is Christmas like what's going on I, I often wonder when we talk about Gwendolyn and Guinevere because she's obviously an illusion in Dark Souls yeah, right and she's she's so much larger than life and she's like such a such a booksom presence i don't really know what to say like she's i mean she's very obviously like uh crafted in a very particular way like what does it say about Gwendolyn that he created that image of his sister like it number one is it accurate and if it's not why not and if it isn't what <laughs> like yeah. what are you doing but all, all well, of like none of none of Gwen's other children other of his other lineage really look like that so it's it's to me it's always um when i think about it real hard i, th I wonder if it's actually like a realistic or an accurate image of her Right. And I, I do, like, I adore when people, like, draw, like, sort of f family portraits, essentially. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they're drawing Guinevere the way that Gwendolyn made her. But I do think it, it is interesting to consider Gw Gwendolyn as essentially, like, proxy for the game developers, asking himself, like, all right, who is the, the cho you know, the, the, the player character going to want to listen to? Like, oh, yeah, a big busty lady. Like... Uh, this is going on xbox we know our yeah. target market <laughs> exactly uh, but i i would not be surprised at all to think that that's not even remotely what she actually looks like um and and a hundred percent a ploy to sort of gauge you know the player's loyalty basically um because obviously he's he gets real real mad if you shoot an arrow at her and yeah, like absolutely um, but you know but on the other hand it's like maybe he just really like was kind of maybe he's sad that she left and like you know this is kind of a just like a sad <laughs> dude obviously uh, has some family issues uh like you know oh, living oh, in your time. dad's tomb is not a sign of like a healthy relationship with your family i'm just saying Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well and my favorite thing um is to consider that gwyn you know so he's got his his kids whatever and his like prized eldest son 
the Nameless King is like, mm, I choose the dragons. So instead of, you know, making the decision to essentially like promote Gwendolyn, he decides, no, I'm going to leave an empty pedestal for my like disgraced son and just continue ignoring the snake child. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's not good. Yeah, right? Like, what what is going on here? Quinn's um, such a dick. <laughs> he's, he is just a real piece of work. <laughs> uh, as, yeah, as, as somebody I, that's that's kind of played at least a, most of these games or and has experienced them, what do you feel like you want to see next from From Software? Like, we're, we're kind of in a weird place with From Software because we have a... A super like off, like off kilter VR game coming out soon, and then after that is Sekiro, which is going kind of totally like it's. I think people really want to call it a Souls game, but I don't. I don't think that it looks like a Souls game or plays like a Souls game at all. I am very curious about that, uh, but I, I think it would be dangerous of us to expect too much, like in that exact same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I am very excited to see what that does. Um, it looks it looks fun. <laughs> what's your what's your ideal game for From Software? If you could if you could whisper in Miyazaki's ear to get him to make any video game, um, I think it would honestly be a, a very weird but concrete uh, request for a type of kind of thing where it encourages uh, multiple playthroughs that we get like drastically different endings out of. That was one of my disappointments with Dark Souls Three, where that's the in you know ostensibly it's the end of the series but all of the endings that you get are kind of the same thing yeah Yeah. i want like you know big absolutely game-changing like situations um as as somebody that has written a lot of fiction has has communicated a lot with the with the bloodborne community and with the kind of the fandom at large do you think that these games have, have changed you as a person? And if so, how do you think that that's happened? Um, I will say that I think as, you know, myself being a, a trans person, I have actually found so many other trans people through the souls community online. And that has absolutely been to my benefit. Uh, it's been a, a really lovely experience for me. What do you think it is that because I, I've I've interviewed several trans people for this show, um, and th- I've met up quite a bit more through the community, and it's it's kind of always been interesting to me. Like, what do you think it is about these games that draws that sort of interest? I I can't say for sure if there is any one kind of specific you know through point, but I do think that something about this fandom just encourages you to a hundred percent just be yourself. And I think that appeals to me and, and my kin. Um, it's a space where we are allowed to just kind of be loudly ourselves. Nice. Yeah. Well, Oodles, thank you so much for spending time for me this morning. I, I very much appreciate you coming on and talking about it. Uh, it. This has been such an awesome conversation. So, so thank you for coming on and guesting on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to read some of your extremely great fiction? Uh, I I am on the Twitter as Oodles Writes, and uh, my AO3 page is linked there, if you so dare. Um, <laughs> Just read the messages on the door before you enter. <laughs> I think that's please the... Read, please read the warnings, <laughs> and don't get mad at me. <laughs> uh, any other place you want to you link or talk about before we get out of here? No, I think that's safe. (laughs) Well, well, thank you again for guesting. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to the Patreon if you want to support the show directly. It also has links to uh, some merchandise. So if you want to put a skelly on your belly, you can go to don'tgiveupskeleton.com slash t-shirts, I think. I don't remember the link. And buy that thing if you would like to. Uh, I very much appreciate everybody who's listening and leaving reviews. Uh, just this week, uh, a previous guest on the show, Co, uh, kind of sent out a call for uh, women and people of color and LGBTQ people, and she put it out on Tumblr and Twitter, and the response was overwhelming. <laughs> so this will be coming out uh, next week, uh, so it's it's shortly after that's all happened, so I've been doing my best to keep up with the deluge of emails. So thank you very much to, to Co for doing that, and uh, yeah, I look forward to some really interesting and diverse guests coming up. We'll be back next week with uh, more Don't Give Up Skeleton. And until then, remember, 
don't give up skeleton. Man, I haven't done this in a long time. <laughs> I, need to, I, need to, I need to like write a script if I'm going to do this all the time. How do I help? <laughs>